0: Welcome to the 35th edition of the Traveling to Bike Touring Podcast. I'm your host, Friedel. Today we're talking to Maria Kozin, a woman who got on her bike in 2006 and spent 30 months cycling solo from Slovenia to Beijing and back again. rare to meet women doing solo bike tours. In fact, during our three years on the road, we met all kinds of men on their own, but women only seem to appear as part of a couple or a bigger group. And yet, we know that plenty of women do head out on solo tours, and many of them are among the most famous bike tourists out there. Just go into a bookstore and look for novels by people like Anne Musto, Josie Dew, and Dervla Murphy. They all toured solo, often through very challenging conditions. Now, I haven't managed to meet Josie Dew or Dervla Murphy yet, and sadly Anne Musto died just a few months ago. But I did manage to catch up with another remarkable female cyclist this week, Maria Cousin. Maria took two and a half years to cycle from her home in Slovenia to Beijing and back again. Along the way, she had all kinds of experiences, from the wonderful to the difficult and everything in between. And in this interview, she tells us about her journey and also a little bit about the challenge she faced readjusting after coming home. The interview starts with Maria introducing herself and her trip.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Maria Kuzin. I come from Škofe Loka, Slovenia. I did this bike journey and started back in March, 5th of March, 2006, and going towards Beijing, and then I turned back and went back home. It took me almost 30 months. On the way, I crossed Europe... Eurasian con- continent and yes, yeah, it was all about be- being human power on traveling.
0: And why did you decide to do this trip in particular? I don't know. I think
1: the 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 best answer is why not and it's kind of like cliche, but it doesn't. I don't really have an answer why. My goal was just to try my best and even if I would turn back in Belgrade or Istanbul, it was it would be good. And once I came to Beijing, I was like, oh, well, so now I did it halfway. I still have the one rule that I want to follow was um, no airplane. So I didn't want to take plane and fly to States and then cross it and do it around the world. So I decided to come back on other parts of Euro asia continent to cycle it again i didn't really i plan it for one year and then it's gonna become longer
0: it gets addictive that way it doesn't it it's hard to stop sometimes
1: yeah i think it's also because like you like in a way if you would stop it maybe in six months or eight months i'm guessing myself as it comes along that would be quite okay to go home and after one year or 15 months i really what should i go for my friends I still call them friends because they are my friends and I can trust them. But in a way, my life went one direction, their lives went another direction. There is no right or wrong way. You just we separate, and it's just like you you realize that you will have to go home and you have to kind of restart your life again. And then you just like, oh well, why not explore a bit more? And it's still fun. And yeah, I did it.
0: When you started out on this trip, did you have any experience of bicycling before this? Or
1: no, I use my bike as an everyday transportation. And I never raced it, but I have quite a bit of experience in all this outdoor field, um, to be honest, from skiing, hiking, climbing, being a guide and things like that. So that was not new for me.
0: I know it's so hard to summarize a long trip like that in, in just a few sentences, but can you give us maybe one or two countries or maybe a couple moments that really stood out for you from the trip when you look back on it now?
1: Just in short, because like, people first, they don't know where Slovenia is. It's Europe, uh, Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. So Balkan was really nice to cross it. In Albania was like a huge shock after one month from like European country going, coming to Albania and like not developed, no system, um, everything was there was garbage. People were nice, but I had a strange feeling. So it was the first time I kind of feel really strange on the journey. Turkmenistan, 700 cases in seven days and with the desert for most of it, it was like a test for myself. Uzbekistan, I collapsed for two, three days in Bukhara, being exhausted and just having some diarrhea. Tajikistan, enjoying the Pamir, um, having. First, bad, bad experience with the men. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, holidays, vacations for three weeks, getting ready for Tibet. Crossing Tibet, um, it's a different experience. Tibet, when you're doing it, you don't really feel it. You just feel like this small thing that you are in this huge environment around you. Um, it's amazing silence, um, the altitude, the way you have to deal with your body, um, food, water, you cherish like everything you have. But on the other side, the game of the nature, there is no really rain. It's just snow and sun, and it's just a crazy place.
0: Was Tibet the most challenging place that you were cycling on your trip?
1: No, for sure not. Uh, Tibet was one of the nicest. I, I'm one of those people that when it goes harder or when it's like in the nature, I don't have problems. I The only problem I really have, and I'm dealing mostly, is because of the men. Uh, that's unfortunately being a woman. Uh, nature, I can kind of have my mind set up for when to fight with the nature. So it's no problem with that. Um, I was really strong also, like looking now back. Like, I don't know where I pick up my energy, but Tibet now was not, not the hardest for sure now. I met Rick there. So yeah, I kind of kicked him.
0: Rick Gunn. He's another cycle tourist. Yeah,
1: he's another from America. We met on, for a couple of days in Kashgar, before, and then I met him in this small hut there. He was all about to quit and to take a truck. And I was like, come on, you don't you do not do that now after know, three weeks of being solo and almost like to being solo. And so, yeah, I, I just kind of took him along and we were like together for like a week, 10 days. And then I continued towards Choyu, Everest Base Camp. After Everest Base Camp, I had this crash that I opened my head for eight stitches in the middle of my head. I went to hospital for one week. I continue on the winter coming, so I, my temperature intense dropped down to minus 18 degrees on towards Ngormo, Qinghai province, then continuing to Beijing. And By coming to Beijing for three months, I was not speaking English basically just once. And it was a really strange feeling to be in Beijing between all these restaurants kind of people again. And for a couple of weeks, it took me time just to be social again, to feel normal, and shower, <laughs> good food, just basic things, but mm-hmm. it was like, I don't know, like, just the feelings. I kind of lost feelings. Um, then I continue after two months, three months, I changed my bikes. I had another bike sent in, a uh from the Czech company, ZOOP.
0: What was the reason that you changed your bicycle? Just for fun,
1: to make my journey interesting. It's a different experience, especially in China. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, you're in the middle of the tension, being on the recumbent, buying being a woman, it's just like, oof. 1000 eyes on you most of the time then i continued down to shanghai towards vietnam and then in south china actually with my hardest time it was three weeks approximately monsoon rainy i was in guizhou province the poorest one of the poorest province in china um the roads were really shitty muddy rain the humidity was really high on all, all the time and and like all I was dreaming about that was just having a roof and a AC just to be like dry and to be able to sleep. And I exhausted myself uh, to like I collapsed a couple of times. I lost my conscience. I destroyed my knee. And that's why on the second time when I want to do cross Tibet, but I have to finish uh, my journey because of my knee kind of decided not to work with my ideas anymore. So I had to take a train back to Beijing to check up with doctors and they say six months, no bike. I, I went home, Trans-Siberian train on Vladivostok, Moscow, St. Petersburg, Slovenia, Ljubljana. I had operation on my knee. Then I fly back to Shanghai to do recovery. And then, after a couple of months, my knee was good enough. I decided to say goodbye to Shanghai, take my bike again, and finish it. So, I crossed Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Georgia, getting all of life in Georgia from war to peace to hospitality, which is amazing in this country, crossing Turkey, Balkan, and home sweet home. And the hardest thing, it's to say goodbye to parents, and it's the most beautiful things when you come back.
0: You must remember that day very well, the day you came back into town. Like, it's like
1: yesterday. Um, it's not about my town, because I crossed my, the border where I used to work before. And then next day, my parents came, because my dad decided to ride the bike uh, with me for last two days. And so my pa- my mom drove my dad to that place uh and yeah, it was just it was amazing because when I was home for the first time on with my new operation, I was home for like three weeks. I was not really home. Like physically, I was there, but mentally I was still in China. And I was just doing this physical thing to have operation done and fly back. So I was not like part of my family. And then second time it, I was feeling home. And then my, my dad joined. We had the rain and wind for last two days. It was quite crazy. And then my dad was kind of like complaining. He's not like a regular biker. He does sports, but not like biking in all the all conditions. And I was like, you know, now you're just getting like how my journey was. Uh, and then, yeah, then we at last in Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia, my mom joined us. So for last half an hour, one hour, we biked together. The weather was not nice, but it was just really nice to be in like in company of my parents. And then at my home street, they prepare me like a little party and my neighbors and they wanted to do it and even though I'm like totally against those things because I still I thought and I still think this is not something really special like it it changed my life but it's not really something that should people kind of make a big thing out to do it. but oh well and then one later I prepared like a big party for my friends and relatives and just also showing some pictures and that thing was kind of like a reward or like thankful note for my friends or my family friends because honestly the journey is not, it's something that I had to do or I it was this need inside me that I had to do it but for my parents there is like no need that they should understand but with all their strength and everything they support me and for them it's a marathon run, it's for my parents and my brother or some of my friends and because they don't understand why I have to be in Georgia during the war, they don't understand why after the fall in Tibet I still have to I have this question, like I call home after being one week in the hospital and I was like, Mom, you know what? I'm thinking about taking a bus back to the place where I had the accident because I didn't do this one hundred sixty case. And my mom's like, What are you talking about? Like they don't understand that I really appreciate the way they support me and I really they're amazing people, I don't know. They don't understand but they, they still love and they still support and this is what's really like huge for me. They were able to get over their own limits to kind of get do you support and it's just amazing amazing thing
0: and what was one of the best days on your tour is there one that really stands out for you just one day oh that's hard i do like i have this little
1: game in tibet with nature that was also quite outstanding because like sleeping in minus 15 18 degrees was celsius was like um, sleeping for maybe three four hours then trying to sleep for another two hours and then shivering and the whole body system changed. Uh, like I had no no need for toilet during the day because it was too cold. And just in the evening, I would drink tea. And then, yeah, just the whole game with the nature was interesting. Um, so one day, let's, let's think about it. Yeah, definitely this in Turkey. Crossing Georgia for me was happy and really sad. And it was re- I was really stressed. And I finished it. And I had another problem with the men just the last night in Georgia. And then I came to Turkey on Posov. It's just uphill, really uphill, and then a little bit of flat, and I had this man approaching me um, if I would come along for a tea, and I was like, no, 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 I just, I was not really feeling well, and I just wanted to have my private time. He's like, no, 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 come, and I was like, no, and then I was like, okay, Maria, you still have like one, two hours of daylight, so you can still move on later. So I follow him, and then he's like, yeah, this is my place. like, what? And there was this beautiful, beautiful treehouse. So I came to that treehouse, and he was like, "Yeah, do you want tea?" I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And he maybe spoke 50 words on English, maybe my 30 words on Turkish, with this German-Turkish dictionary that I have. So we start speaking about this and that, life and families and jobs, occupations. And we really get along really well. Like, I was really nervous. I still see myself, like, sitting there and just looking at that guy. And I was like, something's going to happen. Something's going to be wrong again. And But no, he was just amazing. He was beautiful, polite, and really nice guy. Muslim. And then he was like, yeah, do you want to have a dinner? I was like, okay, we just talk along. And then I slept in that treehouse, small place. And he was kind of... Checking as a dad, like if I'm okay and if I'm cold, if I need this and that. And then in the night I had to use toilet and he really made sure that I had the light. And then in the morning preparing breakfast and then I had the chance to meet, to meet his family. So I met his family, wife and two sons and daughter. And then we met, we went for a mask and then he joined me for 30, 40 k's on a bike to the first on bigger city where he was also visiting some of his friends and Seeing that man on a bike, on this Turkish kind of half working bike. But that smile was just beautiful. Like, this whole experience of, of this man was just amazing. And I, I'm saying, like, if I had to travel for 30 months to experience this one night with that man, it was worth it. Because that's the reason that like, I still believe in this world and the, because of people like that. Uh, it was just one of the incredible, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful person. Like, just take this sunshine person. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not like fake. Like, in China, I had some problems because of like, this kind of no-losing-face thing culture. But he was pure. Like, that was pure happiness. And um, the openness, like, the way he treated me, just amazing.
0: How did you decide when you were cycling along and you would meet someone and they would invite you for tea or to have supper or or something like that? How did you decide whether you would go with them or not? I
1: usually didn't decide. I think people decide for me. Um, for me, like I, because traveling solo, you, you realize that we are socials. For example, in Kazakhstan, because of so so much on flatland and like remote areas. And um, there is maybe even a chance that for like a couple of days, you will not meet a single man or a woman, nobody. So whenever you have a chance then to speak with someone, it's like, yes, party time, <laughs> even if just for five minutes. <laughs> so you really concentrate to meet someone. <laughs> but then on the other side, I met some people, for example, in Kazakhstan, because I was on this road for a couple of weeks. There you have two roads, south or north, and I was on the north towards Aralkusi and Akhubinsk. And some of the people, they used to go for work and home, on the same road and they were like regulars and I was regular there so they kind of take care of me just bringing me like breakfast yogurt and bread or water and yeah so like you don't decide most of the times I didn't decide it was more about like people would approach me and then we start talking and considering the time of the day and like when I started my journey I realized already the first day or when I quit my job now I have time and I think maybe was my last time in my life, maybe that I have a time and money to do whatever I want to do, to be who I want to be and just to, to live it, uh, not to really go by any other expectation, just to go day by day and be there who I am and with whom I am, uh, just to experience it. And maybe also because I, I really, I think I really open myself a lot to experience things and I truly try to understand people um, maybe also that's why I had bit more problems, because um, also I learned Russian on the bike journey, on the bike itself, so that also was quite intensive, but people then really, especially in this part of the world, Central Asia, they really like the fact that I was able to talk with them in their own language.
0: And you never got tired of the attention. For example, you mentioned in China when you <laughs> had, you know, a thousand eyes on you.
1: Yeah, but it's like, but then you still have to think about it. Like I have this choice and I'm I'm there foreigners, so this is part of the game. It's also like in China. That was really one of the best things on a crumb bike was I always bring the best out of the people, and then putting these people, they were poor, they have these basics in their life, and, but they are still smiling and they're kind of approaching you. And what? what or how much i can lost and when i just put them on the bike and just kind of drive them around like it's just there is no way to pay that like it's you just kind of have to realize that yes you will go further and you will go in some other places and then you will have your own time you always in the big cities you always can go to hostel and stay there for a week or even i don't know like in zebras for example i was in the room for one week because i was sick and tired of sun so not even meeting people but i was sick and tired of sun so those are these extremes when you realize that now you just have to be on your own. I, like a lot of times I'm just kind of putting myself in the way that like even Chinese people, they don't invite you because it's different culture, but they would still help you out. And I think at least a little bit I should try to give back. Um, and this was my thing. Like I couldn't pay, I don't know, for scholarship. There is no way I don't have money. But I could put some scholars on the bike or I could stay with, in some village for a week and just teach on Chinese. An English, pardon for to Chinese students. You also sometimes you just let like, decide like today I don't feel as a market person, and you just continue. You don't go for a market, you just buy like food and continue. Like there is no rule for one thing for on the journey like that size. It's there is no rule, and there the rules are to be broken, to broken, and even all the bureaucracy, paper stuff. No way, it doesn't work.
0: Did you have many problems with bureaucracy at all? or?
1: Um, yes, no, no, I was a really lucky winner because, like, in Iran, I got my visa on the fourth time. And then in China, like, there were so many other people they have problems with. And I was like one of the few that I know uh, that they always get my visas for three months. Or Tajikistan, like, I should get a letter of invitation. But then the guy, the ambassador was like, uh, Where do you come from? Slovenia, Yugoslavia, former. And he was like, do you speak Russian? I was like, yeah, I understand a little bit. And from serbo Croatia. it's really close languages. And he's like, "Looking, at me, he's like, you look like my daughter. I was like, what? And then I was like, I was just thinking to myself, please give me a visa. And yeah, he gave me a visa without any letter of invitation or recommendation. I was like, yep. Considering visa papers, no, I didn't have major problems. So no, Like it was wasting time a lot of times, but still a day, I, I always get it.
0: And I assume you were travelling on a fairly tight budget where yeah, you
1: Yeah, my budget was ten thousand euros for whole journey.
0: Wow. So you were doing a lot of camping and out in the wild and just cooking your own food? Yeah. yeah.
1: And then being invited in Central Asia quite a lot of time. Um but then just staying with basics and when I when I stopped in Shanghai between for two, three, four months, I earned just to pay my bills in Shanghai, so I didn't spend on from my budget. That's maybe also the reason that I would like to say that for that kind of things, you don't need money. Um, You need the heart, you need the mind, you need support from your home or from your friends, whoever you feel close to, but definitely you don't need much money. It's all about what you really want. If you you really want to do it, you will do it. If you don't want to do it, don't use excuses that money is a problem.
0: Were there ever times where you thought, I just wish I had a little more money though?
1: Um, On the bike journey itself, to have more money. I don't know. I don't don't really believe that it would change anything because it's my lifestyle, the way I I travel, like I knew that was my budget. Uh, Unfortunately, I have a great parents. I have a great family background. So I knew that if something goes wrong, my parents would support me. But it's just my personal thing that I like to spend my own money for my own things. Um, So like that was a little bit open budget in case of something goes wrong because of bigger budget. I wouldn't really change anything, to be honest.
0: We've talked a lot about the journey itself, but I also wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience coming home. In emails before this interview, you told me that you had a hard time readjusting to life after finishing your big trip and just processing some of the experiences that you had during your journey. And I'm wondering if you think that difficult reintegration was because you were traveling solo and you didn't have someone to talk things out with as you were traveling. Yeah, and also
1: when you're on the road, like everybody just wants to see you happy. And even on your home, when you're home, like I was happy and I'm still, I, I have my happy days, but I also have other sides and people just want to, society itself, want to see happy people. But I was like, you know, sometimes like after I would have a strange night with somebody would come along or there was, there was definitely for a couple of days, I was not a happy person. But then I just kind of switched myself, <laughs> the explanation I have now is I switch myself to put this frame, okay, I'm a happy person even though inside myself I have no feelings and that's like, these feelings and passion this is the two things that I'm kind of like it's much better now to on, to be honest, like the first half a year comparing to now, hopefully life is much easier now, definitely, I'm progressing on, it's just giving time and keep it, keep it positive and yeah, eventually things will come back to the place and everything will be another music to be rebuilt, another nice picture to be done with my life
0: it's a bit like being on the bike tour itself. You just have to take it slowly and, and day by day.
1: Yeah, and but it's also, like, it's a bit different. Like, now I do have to search for others. I do have to share things. I do have to try. Because also it's my personality. Even before, like, I didn't really talk about my other things much. And I'm not, like, totally open. So, like, now I have to, to do these things more just because I, I know what I want. Or know not what I want. I know maybe, like deep down inside me, I know what I'm capable of. Like, I do realize on the bike journey that limit is a sky. Um, that the dreams, they come true. Um, that the human beings, we can do so many things. Mentally, physically, that is just amazing. And the world is an amazing place to be. So now it's just a matter of fact to put all these facts that I experience Because, like, for me now, in my life, it's not about reading the book that this is possible. For me, it's like now I I did it its effects. So now you're just kind of finding another environment to kind of develop those positive sides and kind of try to continue on that way.
0: Maria Cousin. Maria is now living and studying in Georgia and deciding what to do next. During her interview, Maria mentioned meeting up with another bicycle tourist, Rick Gunn. Now I followed Rick's trip. He did a three year trip around the world and he has a wonderful website with some beautiful photographs and some equally beautiful writing as well. And I really wanted to share it with you. So if you'd like to read about Rick's adventures, you can find it on www.rickgunphotography.com. And Rick's name is spelled R I C K G U N N. And I'll put a link to that in our show notes. Well that's it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back in a couple more weeks with some more bike touring tales.